Welcome to yet another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers. I'm your host, David the Skeptic, and I'm joined by the same three fools. They came back. They came back. Um, it was the sweets. I mean, uh, I'm joined by our esteemed uh, panel uh, from the last show. Uh, we have Sarah uh, from the Alps. Hello, everyone. We have Matthew from Iowa, pretending to be from England. Good day, y'all. <laughs> and uh, no, <laughs> that's even worse. Uh, and we have Dave, the truly graceful atheist. How you doing, Dave? Hey, thanks for having me. So we're going to do something tough today. Um, we are going to build a bridge. Uh, I am not an engineer. I do not know how to build bridges. I do know how to burn them. I know how to blow them up. I've done that for a while. And now I want to learn a new skill. And so I appreciate the people who come along with me as I learn this new skill of building bridges between the factions, atheists and Christians. Before this show, just a few minutes before this show, I got on the phone with my mother and uh, we talked about the coronavirus and we talked about family and uh, I mentioned, uh, look, I've got to go. I've got to, I've got to do a show in 20 minutes. And she said, oh, tell me about the show. And I realized I couldn't do it because she's on that side and I'm on this side. And we have a truce. And the truce is that we don't talk about this. We don't talk about it. This, this kills me. This is, this is the state of affairs that we're in. We can do better. We must do better. And it is my goal to start building that bridge along with you. And so today we are going to talk about what churches can do to avoid creating people like us. What it is they can do to stop the bleeding, the hemorrhaging, uh, of people leaving their churches. And I know that the, the obvious and immediate question is, why would you want to do that? I mean, it's going your way, right? The, the numbers are getting smaller. They're shrinking. But the divide is still there. And maybe one day, religion will die a natural death, but it's not going to die in my lifetime. And I would like this wall to come down before my mother dies or someone else I love dies. I was looking through my contact list uh, earlier today, ninety percent are Christians. I love them all. I love those people. They helped make me who I am today. I can't live with this. We can't live with this. We need a better option. And I think that maybe a better option, while Christianity is resetting, while all religions are resetting, is to. Maybe reach out and offer this olive branch and share with our experience and help maybe stop some of the hemorrhaging and also maybe prevent some of the people who leave under the worst of circumstances and who are harmed and haunted for the rest of their lives. Maybe there's a better way of leaving, a more gentle way of leaving if you're going to leave. Uh, I, I frankly don't recommend taking the route that I took. It's bad. There may be another route. There may be a better route. 
for doubters if you're in doubt. So maybe we can think of that too. Um, so let's get uh, let's get started. I just want to go around the table and um, give everyone a chance to maybe say what is on their mind today. This is a difficult conversation for all of us, and I'm going to make it even more difficult before it's over. Um, and so I'm going to start with Matthew uh, today. Uh, and I know Matthew likes to hang back and see what everyone else says, and then and then you know pr- produce the zinger that everybody Ouch. missed. <laughs> Not this time, Matthew. Take it away. Oh dear, I have a lot of thoughts. Uh, on here and it, I, I have to be honest I, I struggle to um, uh, to make them cohesive um, but what I will open with is I'll, I'll open with a plug um, if you don't already go and listen to either Still Unbelievable or the Proscenium podcast both available on Reason Press both often hosted by Andrew and myself and we recently, in January this year, we interviewed the Reverend Steve Chalk, who is well known to most UK Christians. He might not be so well known outside of the UK. And if you're going to listen to that, because if you're going to be a Christian who retains people in their church, go be like Steve. And Steve has made the name for himself in the UK about being gay affirming. And that has made an him an enemy of many many christians and i just want to say don't be like that it's because that's what what drives people away in terms of so that's the first point i'm not going to i'm not really going to expand on that maybe later in the show but go listen to that and please just be like steve in terms of keeping people like me in the church that's difficult because i left because i could no longer rationalize my my scientific understanding with the concept of a god and and that was my way out it was um very materialist very strongly evidential based and the 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 bullet point for me was no evidence for god therefore no reason to believe in god therefore where's where's the door so it i don't know how you keep somebody like me under those circumstances um but if you want to make a, if you want to keep me going to church after i've done that you need to make the church a, attractive to me and and that's that's hard i i, I get it that, that that's hard and i'm i've spent so little time because i'm not motivated to think about how to make church attractive because to all intents and purposes I'm done with church, but you need to make the, I think it needs to be with the people. It needs to be with people like Steve Chalk. I would go um, to an event where Steve Chalk is publishing a book or launching a book and sit in the audience and say, I interviewed Steve on my podcast. Can I go and and shake his hand and have a conversation with? I would make the effort to do that. There aren't many Christians where I would make the effort to do that. And if you haven't impressed me the way Steve Chalk has impressed me, then you're going to struggle uh, to get me to to even consider uh, coming to to your location. So, if if you as a Christian present yourself in such a way that you're not liked by people that you want to reach, or you want to uh, attract to your church, 
then they're not going to come. Uh, and it's that's probably really the point I want to make. You need to be attractive to the people outside. And if they don't find you attractive, if they find your stance on homosexuality, on women's rights, on uh, abortion, on climate change, yeah, on um, uh, the policy, on the financial policies, on what we do to to help the the lowest in our society, you know, the poor, the out of work, those without health insurance. If your uh, attitudes towards those people is not viewed as compassionate by those who aren't Christians, then you're doing something wrong, and you're definitely, definitely not going to attract those people into your church. So this is a list of of don'ts and i really wanted to come out with something that was more positive and more proactive and all i see is is negatives in in my actions i have quite a jaded view of christianity that's purely because of the online interactions i have with christians which is weird because the christians that i know in real life christians that i've interacted with in real life people the christians that i've had real vocal conversations with are not like the ones that i I see on Facebook um, and Twitter. So there's clear a mismatch there. So you Christians who I more identify with the Steve Chalk kind of uh, Christianity, you need to be more vocal. You, you need to be more visible uh, online. You need to be putting yourself in positions where you're more noticed by people like me because you've got a whole weight of people who make Christianity look unattractive to overcome. And you need to make enough noise, you need to make enough nice noise, you need to plant flowers in the sky kind of thing. You need to create enough volume there to make those ugly voices look insignificant. Thank you, Matthew. And Dave, what's on your mind? Yes. Yeah, so my first thought for the day is, is maybe an uncomfortable statement for us to make, and that is to acknowledge the good that religion and Christianity specifically has done. Uh, you know, we might make the argument that net net it has been a negative uh, because again of the underlying lack of truth there. Uh, but often the defensiveness that we hear from Christians when we talk to them is them saying, but wait, you know, look at all this great art, look at all these hospitals, look at all, uh, the good things that Christianity has done. And so I'd just like to take a moment to acknowledge that, yes, that's true. And when the church focuses on those things, uh, that is attractive. Um, I think when my advice, I've actually literally had this conversation with a, a pastor on, on one of my episodes where I said, the thing that the, the Christianity does really well or religion does really well and that the secular community really doesn't have yet is community keep having yeah. pot keep having potlucks uh keep having people uh gather together give them a sense of purpose you know go out and feed and house the homeless uh go visit people in prison i i think jesus said something about this if i recall correctly uh if you are doing the gospel that will be attractive uh, and, and and so my my atheist spin on this is focus on the secular, focus on the people and their needs, and that will be attractive. Yeah, Sarah. 
Yes, which might be exactly what Jesus meant anyway. So we might True. actually be point. pointing <laughs> back to the roots of the matter. But um, yeah, I've, I was mulling it over a little bit, and I'm a bit torn between what I could suggest um, that Christians do and what I think they might be able to do because they're two different things as soon as you start saying well you know um this would be helpful or that would be helpful then they might they're having to abandon some of their cherished beliefs you just can't get past it so that's the difficulty with it it's like i would obviously say to people become more progressive but for some people that for some christians that's just impossible they've got this evangelical fundy view and it's not going to budge and they've been told that's the right one uh so um i'm really struggling as to so i've got two lists almost as to what people could do um what i think they might be able to do the, the one that christians can do is pretty short pretty much pray <laughs> that'd be about it um and show the radical love they're supposed to show and root people in the bible and all those kind of things we would have been told ourselves but then we all know that that hasn't really worked um for us uh, that the praying business doesn't really make any difference um uh, we've kind of lost uh, lost our belief in that really so this seems to be a little point but that's the list for the christians i mean a lot of people would say when they've got an unbelieving child they would you know automatically say well i just i just love them and i show radical love to them and i keep loving them no matter what and i keep presenting jesus to them and i keep praying and um telling them about the good news and things and that's what they've been told to do and um but it's not working so I suppose, yeah, I've got a few thoughts as to what we might uh, we might do later on the line, but I don't know if you want to talk about them now or if we're just doing open thought, the, the initial thoughts of the day. Uh, yeah, well, I think that concludes the initial thoughts of the day. I've got about uh, three hours of uh, other thoughts <laughs> that I will... <laughs> Good. <laughs> that, uh, ...that I will condense um, here. Um let me just let me see if I can just in brief put some of these thoughts on the table. I know that not everyone who listens to the podcast uh, has an opportunity to read the blogs, and um, if you if you really want to dig into this, read the blog posts. Um, I am notorious for writing the blogs and then not talking about them at all on the podcast. So I end up talking about something else. But keep part, them on their toes. Well, you know, part of the thing is you have availability for what I've written. And so if I take the time on the mic uh to just say that again, then I haven't I haven't maximized uh what we can share. And so I've got I've got things not in the blog, but this this is one of those times where I when I think I want to share on air just some of the bullet points. Uh, of things that are in the blog and maybe uh, let you know what some of the thought process, processes were uh, mm-hmm. as I wrote them. And uh, hopefully that will inspire some thought processes in uh, you, the listener. So I, I started with something very basic, which is just stop pretending that it can't happen to you. Um, it can happen to you. You know, I was one of those people in the church uh, who preached uh, and, and taught it's highly trusted and, excuse me, very highly trained um, in in our ways. And and um, I was one of those people where you know, it couldn't possibly happen to, to you. It's kind of uh, the surprise that you have when you find out someone prominent in the church is gay. Uh, and you think, oh, no, that, how, did, how did we miss that? Um, it, this can happen to you. And it's just a matter of doubts and and how far your doubts go and if 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 you have this idea that there's a supernatural protection that is that is guarding your mind 
that is that that Jesus will somehow be able to hang on to all of his sheep no matter what and that this can't happen to you. I think that's the first step toward it happening to you. And and if it doesn't happen to you, it's still the first step toward it happening to some of the members in your church. And so if you preach a a a theology that suggests that uh falling away as as it were, that that disbelieving is something that can't happen to a a good normal faithful honest person then i i think that's problematic right there it's it's like uh it's like right now we have a pandemic called the coronavirus and if you have a, a a leader who is denying it who's who's denying its severity a lot of people are going to die uh and this is these these types of doubts that church members have it's like it's like a coronavirus, and if you're in denial of it, you're simply not going to be prepared to do anything about it. And I think that's the case with a lot of churches; they're just in denial. It can't happen to us. And in the meantime, you know they've got uh, twenty people all with gray hair in a building that can hold four hundred. There's a there's a category above the elect, isn't there? Because I'm sure we all read that passage that said uh, even the elect will be deceived, and I was, I never thought for one minute I'd be deceived and fall away. So I was in the category above those elect that weren't going that would be deceived and fall away. And there was I just don't know if anybody else thought that same way as well. I mean, it wasn't going to happen to me, that's for sure. Right. It's almost like, well, I, I was predestined. I'm, I wasn't even a Calvinist. <laughs> but I wasn't even in the elect. I was better than the <laughs> elect. I was definitely staying. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, I, my name is already in the books. Um, yep. You know, God, God, God writes with ink. He doesn't have an eraser. My names are in the book. My name's in mm-hmm. the books. And, I, you know, I, I felt like that. And I imagine um, everyone who falls off the ledger felt that way at some point. Uh, uh, Dave, did you ever feel that way that you were that you were safe? Uh, yeah, I actually wanted to make the point uh, that I used to have the kind of fantasy of you know if I were alive when Jesus was around, I would have definitely been one of the disciples, not one of the <laughs> yeah. people who rejected him. I mean, surely, <laughs> how stupid would you've had to be? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, it's so obvious. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I do. You know, I, my, uh, you know, grace, the concept of grace, both both the, theologically when I was a Christian and, and now I think practically and humanistically is so important, such a, a radical part of my life. I was so focused on grace uh, as a Christian that I was always confident, not in that I was any, any good or a very good Christian, but rather that God's love was so great that that it was, you know, overwhelming. Uh Again, all of that was predicated on the fact that, you know, God existed, that the resurrection took place, that kind of thing. And when the doubts did come, uh, it wasn't that I doubted that God loved me. It was that I began to doubt his His even existence. Uh, and it, it, it changes your perspective uh, tremendously. Yeah, so his existence of- and motives, maybe even motives were definitely, uh, I was like, what? I, I don't deny God's there, but... What's he up to? What's he playing at? What's mm. how am I supposed to even know him? What's what is what is it all about? When you go seeking, and I didn't find, then um, it leaves you a little bit crestfallen. Well, yeah. there's a there's a certain isolation uh, inherent uh, in being a doubter at church because uh, once again the theology is that 
you know, that sort of thing isn't supposed to happen to the faithful. And so mm. when you start feeling some pretty strong doubts, who do you go to? Uh, mm-hmm. Because whoever you go to, you're now marking yourself as someone who may be weak-willed, someone weak in the spirit. You know, it's it's very hard to do that um, if if there's not an atmosphere of uh, welcome when it comes to people who have doubts about their faith. And that's simply not the type of theology that's taught in most churches that I've been in. So if, if you have doubts, you become isolated. You can't talk to anyone about it. And so they get worse. Your church simply has to be the kind of place that welcomes doubters and their doubt. Absolutely. I I say all the time to pastors, embrace doubt. Doubt is a virtue. You have it in your pews. You have a guarantee, if you're a pastor listening to this right now, you have a significant portion, percentage of your congregation that is having serious doubt. Uh, and and an even greater proportion that are having minor doubts. If you provide an open and accepting environment in which those doubts can be expressed, uh, you will make them feel more comfortable. You'll fa- make them feel more a part of the congregation, more a part of the church family, and they're going to be more willing to stay. And if- and don't you find that the more more mature Christians uh, didn't have a problem with that? They were the ones you would go to. Those who were kind of quietly expressing their faith, often not very in the front, in the big, um, being really the, the showy ones at the front. Um, the ones that were kind of quiet and they thought about things. Often they weren't too perturbed by the fact you had doubts and were kind of okay with it. I, I definitely found the more mature a Christian was, the more reflective and things. The less they had the answers, but they were also the less they had um they didn't judge you for it and they weren't particularly worried that you had doubts but those who are quite insecure in the faith they want to shut that conversation down quick because yeah. it's it's unsettling for them and they don't have the answers and i was told many times you why do you question so much why you know this all this uh, thought about it just believe just trust in god what's your difficulty you know you're just making this complicated you shouldn't ask these questions you're being attacked by the devil for asking these questions and um it's uh but the the, the doubts don't go away they just get driven underground and they gnaw away and then you come and then you suddenly you come across some good arguments on the opposite side which express your doubts Mm. and you start listening and that's the problem i want to echo that i've had people say to me um you just need to to stop questioning and and just believe well i'm sorry (laughs) i can't do that and i I won't (laughs) do that you know you're you're not going to get me by by doing that but I'm going to propose an even more radical uh, suggestion for for churches, which probably no pastor will, will, will take seriously, and that's become less God focused and more people focused. You know, make it about about the people, make the the churches about celebrating uh, humanity, celebrating the achievements of man, celebrating doubt. You know. Bring in scientific lectures, bring in philosophical uh, discussions, which uh, you know might not be, which might sit uneasily with, with Cranston. Bring in you know intellectual challenge. You'll you'll bring more interesting people into your churches, and you know what? Who cares if they don't convert to Christianity? You're you're getting people in to have something that's uh, riveting and and stimulating. Yeah, if um, I won't go to 
to our local church, the church that my, my wife's a, a member of on, on a regular basis, because I know there are people there who always come up to me and, and say hello, you know, and, and, and I'm their secret project, you know. <laughs> And yeah. I'm absolutely not interested in that. I'll, I'll come along for something that's interesting uh, and, and stimulating. I'm not going to go to be preached at. You know, give it up. You know, make something that's attractive to me. That's that's how I'm going to come into church. <laughs> you know, I'm, I don't want to be your project. No, I think we're going to very quickly find this is what it. What I'm saying, we're going to have to redefine what Christianity is for Christians, and they're not going to like it, and and it no. won't be what they what they set out to do in the first place so i think what we're asking is is sometimes too difficult you know they, they don't yeah, yeah. so by some, christians, have, what, some I, christians just won't be able to deal with it i accept uh, that I, re- mm. I recall a sermon uh i think it was at a lectureship uh, i was always at some lectureship or other and um the preacher was oh he was he was boasting about how how he preached the word he preached the gospel he uh he got into a congregation it was over 200 people and uh, his big boast is he preached them down to 12 <laughs> he preached them down read the he room got, he, he, oh. got, he got rid of all the dross and so when he preached them down to the core of 12 people then he started to build them up again but that's that was his big thing um, you know, it, you know, the Bible first, theology first, God first, and anyone who, you know, is even the, the least bit wrong about whatever, they're out the door. Uh, so I think a lot of preachers have a mentality, um, maybe not quite like that, but you know, they're, they're, they're going to preach the place down, uh, if necessary. My father, um, I mentioned that he was a preacher. Uh, he, uh, is just one in a line of preachers who used to say things like, uh, I, I will come here and uh, preach, and if nobody shows up, I'm still going to preach. I'm going to preach the same sermon. I'm going to preach to the walls. Can I get an amen from the walls? And often, our family would be the only people. <laughs> there. It doesn't matter. And so... You know, there is a there is a kind of a realignment of goals that needs to take place. And if you are if you're not uh, if part of your goal isn't to be an inviting place for people to actually be there and actually experience whatever wisdom you have from the, the, the spirit, then you are doing it wrong. If you are preaching to the walls, you are doing it wrong. Mm. Mm. Sorry, and I think <laughs> I think sometimes also there's um sorry I just need to wet my throat excuse me <clears throat> oh that was the last of my beer that's a bad thing um right I think sometimes there are there are Christians who don't take the concept of levers seriously enough and. I don't know why, and I don't know what it is, but the impression that I think to give that it gives to those outside is that they don't care. And if that's not true of those Christians, then they need to adjust what it is that they're doing. Because giving off the attitude that you don't care uh, about the outsiders or the leavers isn't going to help. It isn't going to help you at all. And I'll give two uh, very quick examples. One was we met 
in the previous episode we talked about Rhett Link and um, uh, and their their recent story and Justin Briley bless him on uh, unbelievable he posted up that he'd like to get them on and I I genuinely hope he does I think it'll be an interesting uh, episode to listen to but you know the the comments on there disappointed me but there was one specific one that uh, stood out to me and the, the guy it was basically along the lines of I'm paraphrasing here uh, sometimes you just gotta shut the door behind them <laughs> and I'm thinking really and I, put, and I replied said Jesus never <laughs> yeah you did actually you did reply to that one well yeah. nice. so yeah. just throwing the theological thing out exactly. there the biblical thing out there for a moment uh, Jesus Shaking did the dust, shake the dust thousands. off of your feet yeah, if, they, yeah. if they reject yeah. you uh, you're, you're not just going to walk away quietly you're going to make this show of uh, you know, we aren't going to have anything else to do with you. We're not even going to take the wines. dirt from your town with us. It's, yeah. That's yeah. kind of the equivalent of shut the We're door behind swines with pearls. So we, yeah, exactly. We had it coming. But yeah. And, and the other example is a, a church I was at and uh, a new pastor came along and he made some kind of comment along. His style was, was different to the, the previous pastor's style. And, um, no doubt there'll be, as a result of that change, there'd be, be some people would leave. And he kind of shrugged his shoulders and said, yeah, that happens and, and more come. And both attitudes bother me because the, the question that come, that uh, left is left in me is, do you not care? You know, when I was a Christian, the idea of people leaving was disappointing uh, upsetting you know saddening yeah it was a tragedy because it was people's eternal souls that was at at stake here there was nothing more serious that than they could do in their life and you want to brush off that thing that you consider that importantly with uh, quite quite dismissive sarcastic comments or a shrug of your shoulders really please Show people like me that you you care more, right? So I um, I, I didn't actually expect to be on this point this long. I appreciate all the input. Um, hey hey David, I, ha- I have one more thing that I'm just dying to share. Is that okay? Oh well, uh, look, my friend, uh, this, is, <laughs> this is a uh, cutthroat studio. Uh, if you want the microphone, you're just going to have to. I got to take it. You're going to have to throat chop somebody and take it. All right. I just think before we leave the topic of doubt, uh, I. I interviewed uh, Jennifer Michael Hecht, who wrote the book Doubt, A History. That is a book that I recommend for everyone, uh, atheists, doubters, Christians, whomever. Uh, but she had a really brilliant insight uh, that she she mentioned that Christianity, almost uniquely as a religion, is focused on belief. Uh, more, more than, say, uh, orthopraxy, right? What what we do, it is what we believe. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, right? And that by focusing on belief, it necessarily involves the flip side of the coin, which is doubt. And so her argument is that doubt is a feature of Christianity. It is a part, part and parcel of what it means to be a Christian. And again, my advice for pastors is to really embrace that and acknowledge that fact. Mm, good point. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that. I just uh, I wanted to um, respond to Matthew real real quickly before moving on. I I I too have had the experience of 
um, being a member of a church for a little bit and then and then stopping, not going. Um, I'm trying to think of why I stopped going partic- in particular this some time ago, and it was in the Northwest. Uh, I think I had taken ill, um, and um, so that, there's there's a long story behind that. But um, it, it was like two, three weeks maybe that I didn't go, and uh, nobody called. <laughs> nobody, mm-hmm. nobody called. Nobody stopped by, and I was I was a very active member of the church, <laughs> so it's not like I was just some somebody who sat in the back and nobody knew him anyway. Um, and it was, you know, it was just I, I'm not sure what the thought process was. Uh, hey, where's that David? He's not here. Oh well. And and it was it was never anyone's business there to just do the simple human thing and check. And that's when I kind of started formulating an idea uh, that stuck with me to this day, which is that uh, churches focus on, um, well, and there were other things that that went on to to help crystallize this idea, but churches tend to focus on uh, the the belief, as you said, Sarah, the the biblical, the the theology, in that the fellowship is then based on everyone thinking certain thoughts or having the same beliefs about certain things. Now, this is true in some churches and not in others. But when someone drops off, the first thing, if a church does decide to go and, you know, try to try to reclaim that person, try to try to do in business what you would call retention uh, of, of that customer, what they do is to try to make sure that that person has not lost their belief system or foundation you know um and they if if a person has maybe they're maybe they're rethinking some things what the church tries to do is to fix that flaw in their beliefs and win them back to christ what they what they almost never do is try to just bring them back as a friend the, mm-hmm. the humanity is is not mm-hmm. there and so if you th- you think you've got a relationship with some people and no one just calls you as a friend to say, hey, I missed you. And I, I think that is that is what hurt me the most at that time. Because there were people that I had a strong enough, well, I thought I had a strong enough relationship with, who should have cared about me at the just human friend level. Mm-hmm. And that is simply not a part of the reclamation process of churches. Uh, it, does, it does not matter what my doubts are or what my new beliefs are or if i think that christianity is now stupid or whatever you should you should want my company you should want me back just because you miss me just because you liked my singing voice just because uh you know we uh, enjoyed each other's time after lunch and the fact is if you don't have that kind of relationship with people they are going to go away and you are never going to get them back uh, but there were plenty of times I think that that churches could have gotten me back just with a simple expediency of making a connection at the human level um, and making me feel like I, you know, I was in fact a valued part of that community and that they missed me. Mm. I had the same experience. Yeah. yeah. 
exactly the same. And I actually found a better community within the, you know, with work and secular friends and things. They seem to be just more naturally uh, caring in a normal friendship sort of way. You're not, it's not about soul and whether you believe the right thing. So they would just naturally inquire if you're doing okay or, and you weren't a project to be fixed. I was ill for quite a number of years and, uh, you know, with the with the people from work and things, they just sort of would say, "Well, hope you're doing okay," and and inquire how I was I was doing, but not try and fix me, not try and pray for me, not pretend they had prophecy for me, not had, um, you know, that uh, we had to stand on this and claim this word and believe that and have faith, and and you're just constantly somebody's project, and when you don't align with. Uh, the current beliefs and you're starting to move on things like theodicy and stuff and you say well I don't think God is actually a um, a candy machine where you can just put the money in and say a prayer and get you know there's the suffering has a place in Christianity you go through a phase like that with it and um, you know they just, just couldn't understand and you didn't fit into their little model and, and that's it you're no longer you're almost corona virus infected and they need to move away from you you're, you're not towing the party line anymore so I think it's a very common experience and it hurts more because the it's, it's marketed as I may as well use that word uh, as uh, as being a family and you know radical love and Jesus love and it's like extra special love so it should work but it doesn't and uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah that's a big disappointment but you know, you know especially when you thought that you were friends with somebody I thought I thought mm-hmm. we had something yeah and um, and it turns out that we the only way we have something is if I agree with you exactly i'm going to be less likely to agree with you not more likely to agree with you i'm I'm going to be very offended by that so mm. um so let's let's move on um i do want to hit this point avoid fast easy uh or certain answers to tough questions okay christians have tough questions i'll just uh you know the problem of evil is a tough tough problem i'm uh Working yeah. on putting together a, pro, uh, a podcast on that. Uh, I want to get some Christians involved. If uh, you'd like to be involved with the discussions of the problem of evil, raise your hand. I've already been uh, in touch with Randall Rouser, and so it might be that uh, he and I have a discussion on that. Um, but th- this is a this is a big problem. The problem of suffering. It's actually a, se- a separate uh, theodicy that that has to be employed. It's a big problem when people come to you with these kinds of questions. Avoid fast, easy, mm-hmm. and very certain answers on these things. No one has a certain answer on this. And if your answer is too certain, it's wrong. This has been debated for thousands of years. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. This yeah. has been debated since Job. Uh, and so you, you do not have a certain answer. You, you simply have an opinion, uh, and, and that is a fact. And if you think that you, your answer is, is really airtight, you are the problem. Uh, don't don't answer those kinds of questions if if that's your attitude. This is not easy. Answers don't come quick, uh, and you can never be too sure. Even if you've worked on this for twenty years, um, it's it's very tough. And so I'm going to say this to uh, Christians, especially those in pastoral uh, roles: write this down. Uh, learn <laughs> to say something <laughs> along uh, along these lines when someone asks you. Uh, a tough question, say something like the problem of evil. Say something like the following. That is a good question. I do not know the answer. In fact, I'm fairly convinced that it is more a journey than an answer. And I 
am willing to walk with you on that journey. Period. Stun- stunning answer, yeah. Say that or say nothing and just be there. That's, yeah, one of the, one of those type of answers is so much better than, this is the reason why it might be happening, and this is it, people don't want that. If they're grieving or they're in pain, they'll, they'll want to punch you in the face if you say something like that, not listen to your theory. Um, God isn't coming through for them at that time, um, and there is no answers to the problems of suffering. I don't care how much you studied it, it's, there is no answer, so it's almost yeah. pointless to debate. You don't know. There is no good answer in Christianity. So just be there. Just be there for them and acknowledge their question like you like you say, David. Good, brilliant, brilliant tactic on that one. It, it would have helped me if someone had mm-hmm. said that. I can, I can tell you that. And if, if they hadn't made themselves available to actually walk with me through that journey, I would, I would have walked with them because I cared... Um, and I and I would have accepted that uh, type of answer, but to get a wrong answer or something that you come to realize is the wrong answer is is worse. It's so much worse. Uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't want to belabor that. Uh, Dave, did you, uh, were you about to say? Something? I was just going to say a, a hint. Free will is not the, the a theodicy. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I guess that probably addresses ninety percent of the people out there. So, like, uh, but I, you know, David, I think you're so right that you know, I think all Christians figure out one answer to, to they have a theodicy, a solution to that problem, and then they wrestle with it for a little while, and then they tuck it away as solved. And and when they walk, when they bump into other people who are in the middle of trying to cope with that, they just wield that as a weapon rather than actually hearing the. this is a real problem. This is a real problem in Christian theology that there are no good answers to. No. No Molinistic defeater is going to do that, I'm afraid. Right. No, this is doubt. Doubt is not conquered by intellectual or philosophical defeaters. If if your goal is to defeat someone's doubt, you have lost. You've mm-hmm. lost already. It's like pain is not solved by logic. Pain is solved by relationship and friendship and help and practical yeah. assistant and those sort of things. Um, so you can stick all the theology where the sun don't shine when somebody's in pain. And which is why exactly my secular friends were so much better at dealing with it. They just they didn't have answers, but they weren't looking for any. They weren't trying to give me any. They just were there for me. So that was the first chink in the armor at a time of life. So... So let's uh, let's move to uh, the next one here, and I'm I'm a big believer in this one. Uh, get everybody involved. Um, th- the way you lose uh, people oftentimes is when they are there, but they're not busy. They're not in, they're not involved in some project or some activity or something that's important to the community or important to them, and. Um, those people are there in part, I don't care what their theology is, they're also looking for community. And part of community is involvement. And so one of the things that churches, a lot of churches are really bad at, is just recognizing people's um, talents and abilities and desires and plugging them in 
somehow, some way. It doesn't matter whether they're a Christian or not. Uh, I want to just give a, a few examples uh, of this. One, uh, one that may seem kind of radical is a lot of churches, uh, their worship teams, uh, you think that those worship teams are uh, members of the church uh, who have who've been you know, faithfully praying all their lives and they got this opportunity. No, actually, churches often uh, either hire uh, outside professionals uh, or, you know, maybe they have some people who come to their church and they're musicians and, you know, they want to play. And so they they let them be a part of the worship team. <laughs> yep. uh, many worship teams are people with folks who are not, quote unquote, Christians. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> but they make great worship team members. I have actually been a uh, uh, worship team leader because I was a musician. Uh, another life, um, but at any rate, I've I've put worship teams together uh, for churches uh, when that was when that was my charge, and I just put an ad in the paper. Um, you know, need need a drummer. Um, you got to have your own equipment. <laughs> Be ready wow. to move it around, pack it up. You get, there are people out there starving to do things like that, and many of them are in your church. There was there was no reason for me to put together an outside worship team. Really, there was there were really enough people in the church, but I uh, the the church wanted me to do this uh, this way, bring in some fun. So I did. Um, I put it together. We were a pretty good worship team for uh, a little while. I was I was hired uh, at the United Methodist Church. I've mentioned that one of the churches that I um, had some leadership in was, the, uh, was a United Methodist Church. Uh, they hired me. I was not a United Methodist. I was just a musician who needed a gig. <laughs> so, and, and I was also, you know, a longtime Christian, just not a, just not a Methodist. And um, I put in an application. Uh, my audition went well, uh, I, and I was hired. And before I know it, I was wearing clerical robes. <laughs> um, wow. I, I don't even know that most of the members knew that I was not a Methodist. <laughs> <laughs> it, did not, it did not matter. So uh, what I'm saying, uh, look, you probably don't have to hire someone like me to put together a team or lead your worship or uh, any of that stuff. There are plenty of people there who would be glad to do it. They're not baptized believers necessarily, but you don't have to be a baptized believer to play a guitar. Um and so you, you just kind of have to get off of that and figure out how you can use everybody in your assembly. Uh, hint, if you can put the uh, teens to use, the parents will stay. Uh, they, will, they will stay yeah. uh, for that. Uh, if, if you have doctors, uh, you know what? If you have uh, Sunday morning, Sunday evening service, or maybe just Sunday morning, just take once a month or once every fifth Sunday and let that person speak on... Um, you know, something topical like, for instance, how to, um, you know, protect yourself against coronavirus, <laughs> you know, just as, a, just as an example. Um, off the top of your head. Yeah, just off the top of your head. <laughs> um, if, you know, we had, um, we had dentists uh, there and uh, they ran a free clinic um, uh, after services. And that free clinic became a big part of the church uh, that we were in. Um there are all kinds of things. Gold teeth that everybody were give, was being given. Is that why? Well, <laughs> so people people who had no dental care and who were no, it's you know, had problems. Yeah, no, they did. They did a um, mm-hmm. uh, free clinic, and they uh, connected them with resources so that they could get uh, you know dentures and uh, things like that. It was it was a great program. Uh, 
I'm just saying that kind of program doesn't have to be peopled by, quote-unquote, members of the church. If somebody wanders in your church and they happen to have a good singing voice, see if they want to be in the choir. Guess what? They'll stay. <laughs> they'll, uh, they'll stick around. Um, you like having potlucks and socials? Uh, ask someone to help bake. You know what? People love to be asked to bake things. I don't know why. Something cooking food in church is great. People people will do it. All I'm saying, uh, and this this comes from just a, a lifetime of experience for me. People are hungry for involvement, and you can keep a lot more people if you have everybody in your building involved in some way. It can be a small way, um, but yeah, it's real hard to leave when people in the community are counting on you for something. Okay, did did I hit yeah. did I hit mute on this? No, no. I'm still here. I just don't agree. I hate I hate was so good. I felt it deserved a, a moment of contemplative silence afterwards. Yeah. Okay. So now Sarah, you said you hate uh, you hate doing things. I hated doing all that stuff. I hated the music. I hated the donut giving out at the beginning. I hated all the, you know, could you be park, car park duty? Could you be, look after the kids? I did. I liked the babies bit. I did the whole crash thing for a while. But honestly, I hated that. I just didn't even want to be part of this group of people. Well, <laughs> kids helped, did it? So, that made um, me a bigger yeah. problem. <laughs> yeah, I had bigger problems. I didn't like the singing. I didn't like sitting here in the sermons. I didn't like chatting to the people afterwards. I just, it was like bad medicine that I had to take. So, um, and that was in every church. I always came away feeling worse anyways. You'd feel guilty about something you've done. Um, and yet, because we're Protestants, we just laugh at the Catholics about how they feel guilty. But we don't. But we definitely feel, felt guilty as well. <laughs> So, no, I couldn't wait to get out of the place. It was the, it was the easiest thing to do, giving up church community. But that's maybe just me. I'm not a very kind of clubby, groupy type person, you know. I don't like going to lots of commitments and things. So maybe that's just me. Most people are normal, maybe, and would like to be part of a community. And actually, yes, it, community is good. I have it in different ways here in the Alps. We're, all, we're a lot of expats out here. We're out here for the mountains. And, you know, we're all bonded over that type of thing. And, and community is totally lovely there so it's um i do see the benefit of it but it, it never jived with me for church though you always never well you're never doing enough you always should be doing more and yeah right so it should never be presented like that it should it should never be presented as some kind of duty uh to god that that you're supposed to do it's it's just a matter it's it's a technique of giving people a sense of belonging in a community uh, you know, so if you're if you're involved in a community, uh, and you know, part of part of keeping the community nice is say you know picking up garbage every other Saturday or something. You know, there's there's actually a sense of involvement that you can have when you when you when you do that. Uh, so a lot of people do stick around even when they're not you know necessarily interested in the sermon. I mean, you can get. Uh, you know, Catholic Church has been doing this with altar boys and things like that for years. Now, let's not talk about other things they've done with altar boys. But um, I'm, I'm just saying they, you know, they they can identify yes, they can and get and get people yeah. involved. In you know, people feel important when they're involved. Mm-hmm. They feel needed when they're involved, and that's that's how you should feel. You should feel wanted and needed, uh, not not pressed upon. Um, or, or guilted or, or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. No, I think it's definitely got its place. It's just a 
one of my quirks. It's not. It's just not me, really. I'm not very group like. Churches don't try this on Sarah. Uh, no, <laughs> but I, I can you know, see I, that. It I think work. that uh, churches have failed pretty miserably to uh, to reach out to introverts in general. Uh, I've always thought of myself as an introvert, uh, and. I felt the same way, Sarah. Every every time I was like, get up and greet your neighbor, you know, it, all these well, very uh, social interactions, I was just like, I don't want to do that. And it's yeah. like, there, there's a, this just very uh, contrived know, for me. Cloister, yeah, yeah, uh, cloying uh, uh, social aspect to it that, uh, you know, I think churches could do very well by just recognizing that they have a mixture of personalities in their in their congregation. Well, yeah, it's it's all right. You can fit it. I think it's that I didn't feel I fitted in really because I would have quite easily liked to slip a bit of a swear word in here and there, and you just knew yeah. you couldn't do that. So you always always best face foot forward, and you knew you shouldn't be putting a mask. You should be real with the people of God and telling them your difficulties and your struggles, and so you could all pray to make it better. But um, it was just uh, it, you you did you you knew that if you went effing and blinding in there, it wouldn't go down well. Not that I have to fm line but it was just <laughs> you know it just you yeah. couldn't really be you you couldn't let let uh, a slightly different view float across the room because there would be silence and tumbleweed and you just say they, they weren't they weren't my people man yeah. they just weren't my people well that's it i think that's an even deeper insight that you have there that that people don't feel that they can be themselves no in church and mm-hmm. it isn't that like against what the church is trying to accomplish yeah so that yeah. that actually um i'm going to skip down a little bit find a way to fellowship with unbelievers i think that matt uh talked about this uh in his opening speech a bit um i think this is important uh there are some churches that i've been to that have done a pretty good job one one uh, mega church uh, that probably does uh, the best job of this is one that's often uh, mocked by people like us. And so I'm just going to mention Joel Olstein. Um, I don't know anything about the man. I don't know his personal life. Maybe he uh, dissects cats for, for fun. I have no idea. Uh, but what he does, at least outwardly, what his church does you know, for the big services and the television presentations and the Internet uh, is preach a positive um, inspirational message. Does does his church have theology and dogma? I'm I'm certain it does. But that's not what's put forward uh, to people. What's put forward to people uh, is something that's very inspirational uh, and uplifting, and it's effective. It it really is effective, and I and I think that there is something too. Uh, making the public face of your church something that is friendly for everybody and then putting the theology into, you know, uh, smaller uh, Bible studies. You know, uh, we're, we're going to have this uh, theological course on, you know, major apologetics, uh, you know, over here on Tuesday night, you know, whatever. Do Do that. But when you get up on Sunday morning... Uh, say something that is beneficial and worthwhile to everybody and that is not uh, so heavily theological. That's one way to make uh, your church uh, more welcoming to unbelievers, and you can still have your theology. 
but yeah, I, it, it does require a different thought process. And I know that some people would think, yeah, you, you just want us to hide the theology. Well, yeah, kind of. Because your theology is not what's drawing people into your church. <laughs> in fact, that's, that's probably what's pushing a lot of people out of your church. So what yeah. you should do is put forward the thing that actually draws people into your church. Right. And then uh, shepherd them along. Ease them into the theology. But don't let that be your opening hammer. Mm. So I I think that that's I think that's one way to do it. There are there are lots of ways to do it. I don't know if uh, any of you on the panel have been to uh, Universalist Unitarian church, UU churches. I don't think we have them so much in the UK. I've never really heard. Do we have them, Matthew, in the UK? I there are a few, but uh, a few. not, not many. They are, I think they have, they have URCs. Um, I can't remember what the URC stands for. It's, the U is universal. You, um, oh, sorry, United Reformed Church. So that's probably not the same thing. No, no. I think they're still Christian. Yeah. So a UU yeah. is um, what most real Christians would say is not a Christian church. Exactly. <laughs> so, but that's exactly what we're asking them to do. Right, that's but, the well, problem. I'm just setting them up as an example, though, because even as a person who has lost their faith entirely, I can tell you a UU assembly is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it has a lot of the things that you're used to. Now, Sarah would not enjoy it uh, because no. there's community and there's singing and, you know, there's you oh, know, things God. to do. <laughs> but but um, a, a good UU church really is what they advertise themselves to be on, on their brochure. Um, and uh, they have uh, interesting classes and workshops and things like that that are extremely mind-expanding. I highly recommend uh, people who are wandering out of the church stop by a UU first uh, and you will find a much softer landing. But I think that what a lot of church people would find if they stopped by a UU church is maybe a model and a way forward. Uh, They don't have to do that every Sunday, every week, but you could have, you know, atheist day, you know, every, every fifth Sunday, we're going to, um, we're, we're going to put away the theology and, and put forward something else so that we can have just a day where families uh, who are who are broken up and split up by by the sword of Jesus's word, maybe we can have one day when they can get together, you mm-hmm. know, have a have a potluck yeah. together, you know, listen to a sermon slash uh, inspirational speech together and actually enjoy it. That's possible for churches. You you just have to have the will to do it. You don't have to give up your theology. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. So, um, one more thing. The on- thing is, though, us as humans are very tribal and tribalistic, you know, and you don't have to go far to see one type of Christian denouncing or or, or rejecting uh, other other types of, of Christians. And I know you've made this big plea that 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 needs to needs to stop. And um. I, I I don't know how we as humans can do it because I don't think it's a it's an exclusively Christian problem. It's not an exclusively Christian problem. It's a mm-hmm. it's a human problem, and uh, we as humans need to be more accepting and less tribalistic. Uh, right. Well, you know, at least once in a while, I'd love to go to church with my mother, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I miss that. Uh, I I'd, I'd love to visit some of uh, the people I used to go to church with. They had a house church uh, 
um, and uh, they met at they, they have church once a month and uh, they go to various churches during the week but they have a in you know they get together once a month at a house and they have a special service it's beautiful I, I miss that uh, mm. I I, th- I think it's possible uh, to do things like that that are um, available for both believers and unbelievers because once again we're the same people we're the same family some of us sleep in the same bed you know and um, we are not strange bedfellows <laughs> so uh, we need to stop acting that way um, I had a few I had a few notes outside of um, the blog I don't know if uh, any of you took some unique notes of your own Sarah I know that you tend to do a lot of research you bring in uh, studies and numbers and uh, thoughts I will give you a chance to share some of that um, I'm just assuming you did it you may not it's okay um, I've got a few I, uh, but I did have a few other thoughts that I wanted to share one of them uh, don't make people choose between faith and science I, I think this is one of the uh, best ways to lose young people, and I think it's one of the reasons why um, the, the youth are not drawn to churches anymore. Uh, education is a real thing now, and it's getting better and more prevalent, and churches cannot live in the dark ages uh, of of superstition. So much of the Bible reads like something that was written in the Bronze Age, because it was. <laughs> and And honestly, you cannot... Teach that Bible unfiltered to modern young people who are educated. And if you ever make people feel like they have to choose between faith and the the reality they understand through science and education, faith is going to lose. Absolutely. <clears throat> You know, I don't know how to do that uh, exactly, especially for uh, conservative churches. If you're one of those churches that uh, believes the you know the world is six thousand years old, uh, there's no help. Pick up a book, right? I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's there's no help there. But there are a lot of churches that you know have a story that that they can tell that they've they've worked out a a fairly advanced theology that uh, allows their religion to live peacefully alongside faith. And somehow you need to do that. You need to comb through your theology. And when people come to you uh, with a question, you know, the Bible said this, but we know this now. How do I resolve that? You need to find ways to resolve that so that science wins. And when you can do that, they can maintain a type of faith, maybe not the faith that they had before in the thing that they believe, but you can you can maintain them when you don't insult them. And um, I, there's a saying, I can't remember exactly how it goes, the, the, the heart cannot uh, accept uh, what the mind uh, rejects. And so at, at some point, if you are, if you're one of those religions that, that, uh, has, has not figured out how to resolve that conflict, that should be job one for you. Um, a second thought, I'll just run through these and and you guys can uh, rip it apart here. I've got a, a handful, uh, proactively inform people about challenges, uh, to the faith. 
And uh, this is this is also very hard for churches. But here's here's the thing. I was just reading today. I, th- I think uh, some of you may have seen this as well. But I was just reading today on the unbelievable board. Uh, I want to say Jim. Hi Jim. Uh, put a uh, link in there. Uh, oh, about the and, Gospel of John. Yes, and uh, yes. it was a it was a thing that showed uh, the Gospel of John. Uh, was really uh, fraudulently uh, uh, authored. I mean, it wasn't the it wasn't John who wrote it. Uh, probably not a single person, uh, one individual who wrote it, uh, and definitely not an eyewitness uh, that wrote it. And uh, the response I got uh, was from a very educated Catholic, uh, whom I like, by the way, who said, "Yeah, I don't know why this uh, paper. This was in the Daily Beast, by the way. I don't know why this." Um, uh, why, why this group thinks this is news? Uh, <laughs> you know, we've known this for, and I and I. What are you talking about? <laughs> what? Are, yeah. Of course, this is news. This is uh, Christ, Christians. You know, when you step outside of that that ivory tower <laughs> that, that you must be in. Christians believe in the Gospel of John. They don't just believe in it; they believe that it was written by John. The yeah. beloved apostle, uh, disciple of Jesus, and you are definitely saying something uh, that is mind breaking uh, for mm. these people when you uh, say that it was not written by the Gospel of John. Now, a lot of people will just reject this out of hand; they won't even look at uh, the evidence. But it is a big deal, and what I am what I am uh, suggesting for churches is that you should get in front of this stuff because it's out there. It's it has escaped the academy. Okay, you can't keep it bottled up anymore. You need you need to work it into your sermon somehow. Look, there's a news story here uh, that there's new evidence about the Gospel of John. You need to talk about it, uh, explain it, possibly put your spin on it if you need to. But you need to make sure that people hear it from you, as opposed to hearing it from someone else. Because if they think that you knew this. And we're holding it, uh, holding it back. Yes. They are done with you. <laughs> they're they're starting to though, aren't they? There's the counter apologetics to the Bart Ehrman stuff, and you get the odd uh, more in- informed uh, Christian news sources. Oh, oh, I can just see your 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 arguments all from Bart Ehrman. Oh, that's kind of so passe. You know, we've moved on from that. So they are starting to wake up in some in some ways, but. Um, uh, so that yeah, they're definitely uh, they're definitely taking note of things like Erman, who's obviously had quite a big success. So they're having to respond to it. And I think some of the Christians are coming to them and asking them questions about it and saying, "What do you mean the Gospels weren't written by eyewitnesses? What what you know what's this about?" And then and then the big can of worms that is scholarship opens up to you. And uh, um, so I think they are they are starting to 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 work out, but. How how much that's trickled down to the average pew pew person? I don't know pew sitter. Don't let the first time they hear about this stuff be from me, <laughs> because I'm going to get them. They're doomed. <laughs> right? They're doomed. <laughs> there's a there's a challenge here though in in getting Christians to accept this because we we've mentioned that one which shouldn't be too controversial, but in in some circles it is. But to go even. Well, I think less con- controversial, but again, it depends on on who you ask. There, there are Christians who are actively promoting the idea that December the twenty fifth was actually Jesus's birthday. <laughs> you know, I thought it was known for for centuries that that was 
never the case and it just wasn't uh, a problem but we've got this uh, apologetic strand now actively promoting that idea as a truth to try to to reclaim claim the day and i don't know how you overcome that but you know christians need to reject those yeah christians need to reject that internally and um slap down those who are who are promoting these (coughs) heresies yeah yeah well, I mean, the thing is, I think we're going through a weird period in history where, you know, things, certainly quirky ideas are getting recycled, like flat earth um, views and things like that. You know, people I blame seem to the just internet. Be, yeah, Facebook. the internet. It's all my Zuckerberg's but, fault. But the, the main issue, I think, um, picking up on this point about um, uh, the first time they hear of these things, I mean, generally make them aware that the scholarship is not hard and fast in many areas because even the scholars don't agree. And I didn't know this. I thought everything was absolutely battened down. It was all sorted. Everybody knew who wrote the Gospels. I thought it was the Apostles. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and Paul's letters and all that were all absolutely watertight. And anybody who didn't believe it was a fool. And so um, it was a massive wake-up call when you suddenly realize you don't know, they don't know who wrote them necessarily. They're written decades afterwards. There's no originals. There's copies of copies of copies. You know all the things you you hear from uh, from the scholarship, and that these Christians know this. And you're like, what? How come nobody's told me this? How come it's not? This is this is. What do you mean you don't know who wrote Hebrews and all the other letters that yeah. you thought Paul did? And um, and then it's all. Well, it doesn't matter. It's what it says that's important. It's like, well, no, it actually does matter. I've been told it matters that uh, that certain people wrote these things. We're venerating these people in the in the religion. We care what Paul says now. You're telling me they're forgeries because that's the the word you really need to use for them um so yeah i thought uh, it was a massive wake-up call i think you would you're doing people a disservice if you sort of make out that it's all dandy and sorted and that there's no there's no debate about it i think it's much more honest to say look some people believe this some people some scholars think that um this the jury's out on this one we need more evidence for that Uh, views have changed over the centuries as well uh we're now thinking moses is probably didn't exist uh he's just kind of we can we write him into myth more than you know a real mm. character and um so yeah that would have just been so much more helpful and honest certainly i think giving up inerrancy they need to drop that idea right now it's only a yeah. re- relatively new thing anyway it's much more of a uh isn't it since the beginning of the 19th century that this sort of view seemed to have taken off particularly in the states but you know that that can sort out a lot of problems for people if you just say look inerrancy we it's only been a view for some, but not not even everybody who holds to it, um, and it, it it does deal with a lot of issues, a lot of the the uh, the questions you've got about the Bible and the inconsistency and things. You can you w- would be eased for people if you say, well, it's not it's not inerrant, so you know, yeah. don't don't worry about it. Yeah, and there needs to be there needs to be more honesty in in these things when people are writing notes in, in Bibles. I remember. If, for years, I can't remember how many years it was. In we used to read this little obscure note and, and a footnote on one of the pages of my Bible. Can't even remember which uh, book of the New Testament it is now, where it was referencing the last several verses of the, test, the this book of the New Mark. Testament. It would say some Mark. some ancient uh, uh, manuscripts don't have these don't verses it. in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought. Um, but now that I know that the truth is actually a little bit, a bit more, yeah. more cruel, cruel than that, you know, they ought to be a little bit more truthful about the way they phrase yeah. these things. Yeah. 
yeah, this I had was a, made up I, later would be a I, far yes. better you know this was added in by god knows who later and we don't know why or how but yeah so e- even awesome. when i've heard that acknowledged it's papered over so uh, i had a pastor who i would consider one of the more i wouldn't say scholarly but at least smart you know he did research that kind of thing mm-hmm. uh he was preaching on uh the gospel of john the woman caught in adultery where you know he who has no sin uh, cast the first stone, which turns out to be one of these passages that is not in the earliest manuscripts. And he did acknowledge it, but then he said something to the effect of, well, it's in my Bible, it's the Word of God, so I'm going to preach it, right? Oh. And so <laughs> so that was almost worse, <laughs> you know, to not acknowledge that, you know, hey, this is a beautiful story, and it has some interesting implications that we can talk about, but not acknowledge the fact that uh, even conservative scholars agree that this is not a part of the original manuscripts. Right. Mm. I mean, if yeah, you're in yeah. a church that reads a lectionary, and I know there are different uh, different lectionaries, but a lectionary is basically a, a Bible reading uh, that takes a, a church through the Bible uh, in a year. Um, the lectionary in the lectionaries have all of those passages that are that that are known to be fraudulent. And so it doesn't matter if the preacher says, yeah, the ending of Mark is not really the ending of Mark. When it's time to celebrate the Bible in reading, they read that, and then someone says, uh, the word of the Lord, and the congregation responds, praise be to God. It's, hmm. It is there, and there are, you know, there are no Bibles that don't print those passages. A, a Bible that didn't print those passages wouldn't sell why? Because the average person still thinks of them as a sacred word of God. But how many yeah. people would walk away if they really knew the things we discovered and read about? I know some people don't, and that's fine, but how many people, the average, I had no clue, no idea, and I'm sure most of my the people I, I um, had in church, you know, mixed within church had no idea that this was the case we, we weren't concerned about that as far as we concerned we were standing on the shoulder of giants who worked it all out but it, uh, and the concern was the day-to-day living out of the jesus message really that was what we were concerned about and how he would do that and what was good and wrong and the decisions for your life so we didn't really care about the scholarship and i just wonder how many if a pastor stood up and said you know what the end of mark it's the, the very is the very earliest this is the best this is the first document on the resurrection. It's not even in there. Um, and we added, this was added in later. And, uh, you know, how many people would actually, at the end of the day, stand up and walk away? Yeah. I wonder if they're actually scared because it's yeah. it's not great evidence. Well, there, it's not. well I, wouldn't have grown up a, I wouldn't have grown up a fundamentalist, young earth creationist, um, mm. for starters, if it'd be more truthful. What would have then happened to my Christianity? I I don't know. You know, I'm I'm married to somebody who didn't grow up like that. Who uh, grew up in a much more mild, uh, progressive Christianity, yeah. and her Christianity has become more and more progressive and accepting uh, over the years. And, and we were having a conversation uh, about it recently. And if we as a family were invited to a, a friend's same-sex wedding all of us would go you know the teenage uh, daughter included and we would c- celebrate that that is not the kind of family we would have been 20 years ago although we didn't have a teenage daughter 20 years ago but we would we wouldn't have been the same uh, as that 20 years ago so 
it mm. is it possible I would have maintained a faith like uh, my wife has? It's mm. possible. I I can't predict what a different world would have have done. But you know, I might have still been a Christian, albeit a very different uh, Christian. Yes. And if if you're the kind of Christian who can't accept that kind of Christian, then I'm sorry, but you're not a Christian that I want to know. So no, that, I think that's. I think we all have things that we might have, which might have kept us on. It might be interesting to find out what what it would be that would have kept us in the faith. I mean, apart from a you know Damascus Road moment, uh, what would it have been that would have kept us hanging on? Had we known sooner, I think it would have been knowing the scholarship was just a bit of a mess. Um, <laughs> maybe a bit disrespectful to scholars, but you know it's not. It's not, it's not all tidy and cross t's and all the rest of it um and maybe being exposed to different forms of christianity i didn't know there were mystical forms that there were forms the eastern orthodox is completely different the roman catholic i'm just going to interrupt you i'm going to throat chop you right here and take the microphone because i i won't i want to reserve those thoughts that you're making for okay for toward the end um you're skipping ahead Stop, stop it! Okay. <laughs> um, th- by the way, um, for the listener, I uh, just a little inside baseball. I love doing this. <laughs> I, I love the panels. I love talking one on one. I love moderating discussions. But I got to tell you, I love the panels. I love this crew uh, that I've got right now. And uh, if you're sitting there listening and you're thinking. Oh man, those those guys are really good. No, we're not. We're idiots just like you. But it's so much fun. Speak for yourself, dude. <laughs> yeah. We're idiots. I'm telling you. Absolutely. Send me an email, uh, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Let me know if you have an interest uh, to come on and chat for a little bit. You'll be shocked at how much fun and how liberating uh, it is. Um, so, advertisement over. Uh, I just I just wanted to um, add a a technique uh, to this for Christians who are listening. So it's obviously, of course, one thing to say, um, you know, that you need to change your theology. Um, that that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> um, however, um, you know, it is it is a good thing to inform people um, proactively and when it comes to things like errors uh, in the Bible and uh, inerrancy no matter whether you are uh, an inerrantist or not here's just a little technique uh, that you might want to use write this down that is a good question I personally am not a Christian because of the ending of Mark but I would love to explore that with you. And maybe I can tell you a little bit about why I do remain a Christian despite the ending of Mark. And maybe we can walk through this journey together. Period. David, are you sure you're not a pastor? Uh, many, <laughs> many years ago. <laughs> so, but, uh, I think if you just said get up and call in now, I think you'd get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I just want to to put some practical um, uh, advice out there because there are ways to to do these sorts of things practically and remain who you are um, as a Christian and maybe retain more 
people. I know that if someone had said that to me, uh, you know, for instance, the first time I realized that the Bible's all over the place with, for instance, how many brothers uh, David has, you know, is it seven brothers? Were there seven in all and David was the seventh? Was there eight? Was there nine? The Bible says so <laughs> with with about three different numbers. And if someone had just sat me down from all of that, that, that uh, insanity and said, look, that is a, that's a good point that you're raising, but that's not why I'm a Christian. Mm. Um, it would have diffused so much of that uh, for me. It would have focused uh, me in a way that I remained unfocused for years and, uh, you know, maybe span, spun out of control in the end. But uh, there, there are, you know, very honest and simple and gentle ways that people can do this. Uh, I want to throw this in and then throw it back to the uh, crew before we get to exactly what it would take, maybe what it would have taken to keep us, and maybe what it would take to get us back. Hint, probably nothing. But Mm -hmm. um, I want to throw this out there, too. Um, In fact, I want to just throw both of these points out here uh, together before I get myself throat chopped. Um, If you were one of those churches that simply cannot uh, get around the doctrinal issues. And you understand that people are going to walk away and, you know, maybe your church isn't for everybody. And uh, you've got those people in your church who are doubting and you can't, uh, you can't help them. There's no, there's no technique to keep them. You can still keep them from becoming um, atheists. And the way to do that, it doesn't help your self-interest. But the way to do that is to uh, recommend another denomination or another church in the area where their doubts would be more in sync uh, with with that church's beliefs and theology. And maybe, you know, I'm sorry that we don't uh, don't seem to be a good fit for you, but I don't want you to give up on God. Can I recommend X church for you. Would you go there and visit and maybe tell me about that experience? Um, if, if you like it, go there and stay with our blessing. We'll send a letter of recommendation uh, because, um, you know, God may not be able to speak to you here, but we can find a place where he can speak to you. I'm, I'm sorry. Is this thing on? Is this, is this, I'm sorry. Uh, Just... Um, so deep with we're, we're uh, no but it's a good it's a good it's a good thing but how many people are going to do that because let's not forget there's tithing that keeps the churches afloat so I people don't want to lose people don't want to lose numbers do they I was, the I, was, I was hoping someone would bring that up i just want to i just want to bring up a point of history uh, mm. for you and and i think that this will maybe help put it in perspective so back uh, oh about 50 60 years or so Actually, in my lifetime, uh, this has happened. Uh, you might bring a person to a church, and uh, someone would quickly recommend that they uh, go to that other church down there. Do you know the circumstance? Race. Yeah. Race. This happened all the goddamn time. Churches are very, very familiar with suggesting that people go to another church that would be compatible. They've done it throughout history. (laughs) And so uh, 
they if they gave a good god cheaper's tinker's damn about a person's soul, they would find that person uh, who is feeling like uh, you know what the leader of this leadership of this church that you preach it doesn't seem to be. Uh, in line with uh, scripture, you know, and maybe they're thinking about something uh, more like bishops and such. You know what? There's an Episcopal church just down the road. Visit them. Talk to them. You know, they could do that if they wanted to. If they had a heart for souls as opposed to a heart for their pockets. So, yeah, it can be done. It's easy to do. And, and those of us that had a, a, a fairly good knowledge of churches and denominations, we could spot a person who didn't really belong with us and who was never going to belong. And it's your choice as to whether they walk away and become atheists or whether they stay with the church and find a, a place where they can uh, be soothed and comforted by the same spiritual resources as, uh, as you offer your people. Decide. I'm sorry. Is this thing on? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would just, I would say, like, uh, I'd be just as a counterpoint to the three of you, um, you know, I started in very conservative, theologically conservative churches, uh, but when I went to Bible college, my, I say this often, my professors did too good a job. They, they, you know, acknowledged the problems in Scripture. They, they talked about true scholarship of really seeking after the truth, using critical thinking. Um, and so when I, you know, very early on, I was like, you know, well, inerrancy seems unlikely. And so I kind of let that go real early. Uh, and, uh, you know, I knew a six-day uh, creation was just absurd, right? <laughs> like, you know, so, so, and then you could probably describe my Christian life for the next 27 years as being slightly liberalizing, over time, uh, to the point where, you know, I was practically a universalist. Um, uh, you know, I believed that science was correct in its domain, in its entirety. Uh, uh, you know, and I would try to hold this one tiny sliver of this idea of that that Christianity held something beyond the capacity of science, and it was basically that last step of recognizing that Christianity makes claims that science can test. And none of those tests have ever been positive. That was mm -hmm. kind of the beginning of the end. Uh, so just as a counterpoint, you can also have just the most liberal, open theology ever. And the problem still remains that it's not true. Mm, that's interesting, because yeah. I've always thought if I got to the progressive bit sooner, it would have saved it. If I'd known that that was an option, if I'd known that, um, I mean, the inerrancy and young earth thing wasn't so much of an issue, but just, yeah, all the things you say that you can become more and more progressive. And But, you know, the kind of, what about the, the kind of, the Jesus I hung on to towards the end was pretty, was pretty nice and progressive. There wasn't a yeah. lot to have, have a beef with him about. Yeah. But, um, what so why what did you still think wasn't true then because it's a nice idea I yeah so again. again again you know i talk about just two two moments that were kind of wrapped up and, and the timing is fuzzy in my mind so i tell them out of order sometimes but the concept of a soul i was hanging on to that for dear life and i read a greta christina article talking about uh you know if you take a drug it affects 
who you are. You can go to sleep. You you know, there's all these ways in which consciousness, consciousness uh, goes away, right? And like, mm-hmm. and then it comes back. And if if you experience something that stops you from breathing for more than six minutes or so, it's permanent. <clears throat> and I just was so convinced by that. Like, okay, so if my consciousness isn't a soul, you know, why do I believe that? And shortly thereafter, thinking about the resurrection and what my reasons were for believing in the resurrection. And again, that idea of that, that science actually has something to say about this. No human being has ever come back from the dead, <laughs> you know, mm. and that, and that there have been many, many claims to the contrary. Uh, and it was just the sudden realization that, you know, it wasn't that I was irrational for holding these beliefs, but that I did not have as much evidence as I b- thought I did. And when I began to be honest about that, I had to just be honest with myself, be integrous in my own self and say, I don't have a reason to believe this. I don't believe this anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, uh, I feel you. I think that if you had been directed, redirected to the right kind of church early enough, that you, they, that you could have stayed longer. Uh, and what I'm thinking about, so I've met uh, John Shelby Spong. Um, You've uh, met him? Yes, I've met him. Um, oh. he, he and I had a, a brief conversation. Uh, a lovely man. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have answers for you that that mm. I don't, <laughs> okay? And, and that most churches wouldn't. But there are some that would. And I'm, I'm not saying that this this would save everybody. Uh, right. It, it, you know, but it would have kept it would have given you another way to think about it so that mm. you didn't have this dichotomy of, you know, is is there a, if if we have a a, a monistic um, uh, life um, cycle, we're just we're one person and not not dual. I'm saying. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, it was dualism that, that I was questioning. Right. Yeah. So if if you you didn't have to have either uh, dualism or atheism, uh, that's a false dichotomy. You you sure. could have um, uh, the singularism. <laughs> it's medicine. Help me out. You could have that so, and yeah. a version of Christianity, um, and it and that didn't have to do it. And if you were if you were directed to that kind of church when someone first understood that that's where you were going, they could have realized, you know, I can't help you, but I know someone who can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So again, I, I totally get the point that you're making and I'm going to disagree with the host, which is the number one rule not to do. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. I don't, I don't actually want a show where, where no one disagrees with me. Uh, if you would like so, to be on this show and you agree with me, you are disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to say that I'm uh, exceptional here. I just want to to fully express where my head was at. I was bigoted towards purely progressive, super liberal theology churches. I felt like they had no power, that they had no um, that there wasn't anything there for me. I understood what their theology was, uh, but I just didn't find it compelling. I needed for it to be the last thing that I needed to be literal was the resurrection. If that was not literal binary, then I was done. And when I realized that I could no longer believe that, 
I was done. I wasn't looking for other other answers. Uh, and the other the other side of the equation, and I, I don't want to, it's not on topic exactly, but that what I realized was I was a I had always been a religious humanist. I cared about people, and and the the trip from being a religious a relatively liberal religious humanist to being a secular humanist is a pretty short jump. <laughs> so. <laughs> When I realized that almost everything I found compelling about Christianity, including Jesus, was humanism, was caring for people, uh, I was off to the races. I, w- I was done, never looking back. Uh, so, but maybe you were yeah, aggressive enough in the end. Sorry, sorry, Matthew, yeah. go ahead. No, no, no don't, don't apologize. Yeah, it needed to be true for me uh, too. If I, if I, I couldn't, and I can't buy into any of it with without being convinced that uh, there's a god and jesus uh, was real exactly mm. yeah. so i was saying yeah so i was thinking well maybe you you know you can still push the push the uh, dial over to more even more progressive in terms of you know there's, there's christians that say well i'm a follower of jesus it's his example that i'm following whether he's actually god or the son or son of god or whatever isn't so important and i can't tell but that doesn't matter it's his message and you know god is just an ideal every time i set up an ideal that i want to be uh, achieving that's kind of a judge to me so that in some ways that is a god i mean jordan peterson brings up this idea uh you you by you just by having an ideal and having something you want to do well or uh correctly or um when you've let yourself down you've had this internal judge that kind of sits above you saying well you didn't do that quite well enough and that can be seen as a god is every time you incorporate incarnate love to somebody or just uh, receive love or give love isn't that if god is love isn't that in some way god you know you can go really kind of vague and mystical what does believe mean does believe just mean holding tensions that are completely opposite but being okay with that like the jews were a bit better at holding these different views and uh you know what does what does having faith mean is is it just a verb of doing of just acting in the way that you hope that there is a god uh you know again peterson says uh, peterson says that we uh we he lives as if there is a god and I, i can see what he means he means we we do somehow uh, put restraints on our behavior and things like that and it might be because we feel there's some sort of judgment somewhere even if it's just from ourselves but you know all these kind of concepts of god that are much more nebulous and you can just keep pushing the progressive thing right right down the road until you, you define i mean what is church is church just a community whenever people uh get together and um help each other you, does it have to have a christian label is it could it be a a group of people who like to ski together or whatever you know yeah what absolutely. what what do all these words mean we've given them certain meanings today um in 2020 and um uh, for for the western world and things but they might be much more fluid i, I suppose I, i'm open to that but then i come back down and think yeah but the book does say some pretty pretty strong things in certain ways so <laughs> uh you can't really get away and i think david always brings me back to earth with these things i and i kind of float off into this bit wishy-washy wooey type stuff david will bring it back down with some yeah but the bible says this this and this and you can't get around the whole theology unless you've you uh kind of can get around the, those verses and it's true usually so i usually give up on the idea and just go i don't know i don't so know I, any of it <laughs> i would say i would say this this is my entire argument I, I, i'm saying that as human beings the reason that religion has been so successful is that it meets human needs mm-hmm. we need to sense the awe 
right? To have a sense of awe. We need to have a sense of belonging. We need community. We need to uh, have people that will show up on our doorstep when we're sick with a, with a, a casserole. We need that. And religion has done that really, really well. Uh, and But the point is, when you begin to look at all the good things that religion has done, they're all naturalistic. And so mm-hmm. we can do away with the the belief that is not true, that has no factual basis, and just acknowledge we need each other as human beings and do exactly what you're saying, Sarah. Is it a skiing group? Is it a book club? Is it a knitting circle? Is it you know, yeah. uh, you know, whatever it is that that provides some community and, and gets you around other human beings is a good thing. Yeah. But I think some very, very progressive Christians may even may think that that's what it was all about and that Jesus wasn't trying to start a new church and it was just a movement. It was just to show that love is the way. But then we had the Buddha pretty much got there anyway, didn't he, beforehand? So I don't know. What. So the, the uh, point, the ultimate point, yeah, maybe maybe we maybe we couldn't have saved you, Dave. Yeah, but, I don't think so. But, but <laughs> we could. But a better effort could have been made. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that a lot of people uh, like you could have been um, uh, saved, salvaged, um, uh, inoculated from um, from walking away from the church by simply uh, being recommended something more suitable to to the way they think. And there there are all kinds of interpretations of religion and theology and Christianity that allow people to be theists with, you know, doctrines that may seem kind of far into the Bible, but they, but they've worked that out and that, and that works for them. And uh, if, if that's, if that's how far you have to go to uh, hang on to the core of faith, then the church should be willing to help people get there because if they are there and they still maintain some type of theist theism, you know, maybe they can be reeled back into something a little bit more grounded. And in the meantime, you know, they're still theists. They still believe in God. And if they die, you know, God's good, good, good chance that they're still on the boat. You know, they're, they're on the lifeboat anyway, if, if they're not on the ship proper. Um, and so I think that churches simply, don't do that because they are uh, they they have other motivations and that motivation is not to make sure that a person doesn't walk away. And I think that churches they cooperated a little bit more, they could keep that from happening. Um, let me throw in let me throw in one more um, we can we can talk about before we go around in and get a little bit more personal. Uh, this one I threw this one on at the last minute, but I, I think it's just really important find a way to welcome the uh, lgbtq uh people as full members of your community um y- y- churches simply have to get out of the business uh of telling uh five to ten percent of the human population uh that th- that they're messed up mm-hmm. yeah, um, absolutely. yeah absolutely you, you can't you can't survive that way anymore it's it's a little bit um it, I mean, from my perspective, it would be a little bit like um, churches that didn't welcome black people as uh, full members of the community or churches that didn't welcome people who are in mixed race marriages uh, yeah. as full members of the community. 
that's that's how much of a throwback this feels to me. The fact that that churches are still debating this issue is a shame. If you if you're one of those churches that are still debating what to do with gay people, you have already lost. You have yeah. already lost. You've got to get over it, get past it, find a way in your theology, in your fellowship, in your community, find a way, some way, some loophole to make everybody a part of your community. And if you cannot do that, if you are telling my friends who are looking, who are, who are looking to have relationship with you and your God, if you are telling them that they are too broken for your community, screw you. The trouble with that, I agree with you, but I think the problem uh, with um, persuading a huge swathe of Christians from from taking what you've just said uh, seriously uh, is you've run counter to what is at the very core of Christianity, which is we are all wretched and we all fall short of the standard with which we're supposed to live. If I could just jump in with this as well, uh, including, uh, you know, choose your metaphor, a, a longer table, a bigger tent. We need to include people. And one of the things that amazes me in, in 2020 is that uh, churches are not utilizing the, the greatest volunteer force uh, in, in their congregations. More than 50% of your congregations are women. Uh, and turns out they can do more than children's ministry. Uh, women can be theology professors and pastors. Uh, they can be teachers. They can be uh, speakers. And it just amazes me that how underutilized women are in in congregations in 2020. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm uh, I'm breathing. I'm breathing in. I'm breathing out. Okay, um, I'm better now. Um, so let's let's finish up this way. Uh, Sarah, I'm going to start with you because um, you uh, have been chomping at the bit, and I'm tired of holding the reins. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to let you loose on this. I want you to uh, tell us. And and by the way, Matt, I'm I'm going to let you go next to last. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh, be thinking up your answers. I want you to answer two questions uh, as we close. The first question is, what might they have done to keep you, or at least keep you longer than they did? And what might be possible to win you back even now? Ooh, right. Well, keeping me longer, that's, um, as I say, if I'd got to the progressive stuff sooner, I think I'd have, I'd have hung on. If I'd found, you know, the Rob Bells, the, the God of Spinoza, the Mystics, the Steve Chalks, uh, the Mike Mahagis, that, that kind of 
version of the faith, which is so far away from conservative Christianity. Because um, I always say I, de- you know, I deconverted from evangelical fundamentalism. I'm quite specific about that. If people have other expressions of the faith and they kind of hold to a mystical view of Christian Christianity or just have a private belief, I haven't got so much of an issue with that. I don't know. They may well be in communion with a, a higher being. I've no idea. Um, but I'm very specific. It is Christian. Uh, evangelical Christianity I've, I'm done with that I can't go back to I don't know I don't think anything could get, get me back there but some form of faith yeah okay maybe uh, if you if you present the progressive stuff uh, it might have it might have helped um, and what was your other question how to get well, back there yeah yeah, what, yeah. If, what would it take to get you back into church oh god nothing um <laughs> Nothing is an unacceptable answer. Reach deeper. I mean, which church? Which which church are we talking you about again? It. You define. Okay. It. Well, if you want me to go back to some sort of UU church, maybe yeah, I could do that. I could do it. again if it's yeah. If there's, oh, it's hard. I can't see myself. I hated it when I was in there. Anyway, it was bad medicine for me. There's, um, there's good singing. Yeah, I can't sing very well, so it's just no joy. I just have to lip sync and hope for the best. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, there's no, nothing would make me get back to an evangelical. I'm going to rescue part. you from this answer, oh, Dave. I'm floundering. <laughs> question, <laughs> question one, what would it have taken to uh, keep you at least longer? And question two, what would it take to get you back into some kind of church going? Sure. I feel like I'm going to just summarize the, the things that we've said or I've said. Um, I, I think if if doubt was acknowledged and embraced and uh, people could, you know, voice their questions and have dialogue and even debate, really, uh, within the church where that was just accepted as a normal part of the process, uh, I think I would have stayed longer. Uh, I think if the church... Uh, or the churches that I happened to frequent had done more of the social gospel, had done more uh, of feeding the poor, um, uh, uh, loving people in some uh, real and and direct way, uh, that might have kept me longer. Um, In regards to what might bring me back, I'm actually quite interested in in what the secular world does to fulfill this whole, uh, to refer back to the Jennifer Michael Hucht book. It turns out this question is not, not a new one either. Uh, a lot of the Greek and Roman philosophers who were, uh, you know, basically acknowledged that the gods were not real, were still troubled by the idea of just swiping religion out from underneath the people and what would happen. And I feel like we're having that same conversation now. Uh, mm. Europe went through this, you know, in the last century, and the United States is going through it as as we speak. Uh, and it and it does feel like by swiping away this community building uh, mechanism uh, in a time in which people are very lonely, uh, uh, you know, the technology is is giving us a simulacrum of community. Uh, we need to have answers for that, and so I'm really interested in humanistic answers to how we congregate, how we come together as a group of people, how we support one another, how we build community and belonging. What would bring me back to an actual Christian church, I, I, I mean, I would have to have a, a revolution in epistemology in the way that I see the world. Uh, I would have to uh, 
let go of my need for evidence. I would have to have, uh, I think it would take more than just, you know, a, a vision or something because I've had those, right? Like I know those are natural human experiences. Uh, if there were a church that embraced atheists, uh, open acknowledged atheists and allowed atheists to work side by side with other religious humanists, I'd seriously consider that if that was really, truly open and I could, uh, you know, do good works, as it were, uh, alongside my uh, belie- fellow believers uh, or, or other believers and other atheists, I think I might do that. I choose his answer as well. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that was a good answer. Matthew? Um, how would I have stayed longer? Yes. Um not being brought up in the missionary environment I was brought up in <laughs> would have kept me me longer. And um, Christians, you need to stop supporting missionaries. You need to look closely at what the missionaries that you do support uh, do, what they teach and the activities they partake in. Because I am, my opinion of Christianity is, rather poisoned by my opinion on missionary activities because that's where I grew up what it does to the cultures in, in which uh, these well-meaning people move into what they they bring with them as part of doing good and and helping the local populace and implanting and replacing local customs and cultures with the uh the anointed uh, westernized culture that they they come from it's it, it it's terrible and the way i feel about it just isn't being accurately portrayed by the tone of voice that i'm that i'm using now and then on top of that you're there are some not all i will agree uh, but there are some many including those that that taught me teaching bullshit in classrooms. You know, I was indoctrinated as a young earth creationist. I remember receiving a biology textbook uh, for school lessons and the, because these were brand new biology textbooks, our first task in doing these books was to open them up, find the page that described evolution and put a pen line through it. <laughs> oh, man. We, we need, to, you need to stop that. And yeah, this is terrible. So if I hadn't have had that poison in me as as a child and growing up, I would have had a very different version of Christianity. And I'm absolutely certain I would have stayed longer, which is a shame. And it pains me greatly to say it because it taints my experience growing up in the most beautiful, culturally, not I was going to say culturally diverse, but that's not what I want, culturally attractive um, landscape, uh, attractive nature, attractive country in the world uh, of Zambia. I adore that that country, but my experience of growing up in it is is tainted with this, this ugly uh, cloud of missionary Christianity. So think about what you're doing when you're supporting missionary activities in countries that are not your own uh, Christians, because uh, I don't like it, and mm. I don't like it for very good reason. So, a a better Christianity, and a, which means a a less intolerant, a less fundamentalist Christianity, would have absolutely kept me longer. What would 
what would get me back. I'm very much like uh, Dave in that my worldview now is very much an evidence-based worldview. If you can't convince me with evidence, you can't convince me full stop. And I don't know how Christianity is is going to to get me there. You know, you, it, you, probably the best you could get me to concede is it's got interesting ideas and some of the philosophical aspects are are worthy of discussion, which frankly is why I podcast. But to believe it, come on, let let's have something that we can tangibly work with. Uh, my. Uh, uh, my wife says I probably need a, a Damascus Road experience in order to get me back. She doesn't think anything else will get me back. The the trouble with a Damascus Road experience is I wouldn't be able to tell the difference between that and being high on drugs. So I that's I can't see how that would do it for me. Um, I'm going to go to a pat answer, which is very well known by many atheists. Is I don't know, but God does. And if God exists and God knows and God wants me, he knows what he needs to do. Very good answer. Um, can I punt? Can I just get into that? <laughs> <laughs> no fair, no fair. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I will punt for the first question which is, um, what would it take for, for me to get there? And the answer is, I have been telling you for the last hour and a half. Uh, uh, you know, if, if, if they wanted to keep me longer, all the things that I've been saying for the last hour and a half would have worked. So when I, when I was preparing this uh, podcast and, and the blog and my notes... I was asking myself this question the entire time. Um, you know, what went wrong? What, how, did, how did they lose me? They shouldn't have been able to do that. Um, but, you know, there was a culture of pretending like a loss of faith couldn't happen to the truly faithful uh, and the truly elect. Um, they didn't take doubts seriously. Um, they they gave fast, easy, and certain answers to tough questions that turned out to be very wrong, uh, or at least very unsatisfying. Uh, they did a poor job of getting everyone involved. They told many lies of omission, uh, things that they knew uh, theologically uh, that might have helped me in my struggles, but you know they they felt like oh the congregation isn't ready for that yet. Um, so they, they did a lot of that. Uh, they couldn't find a way to fellowship with unbelievers. Heck, they couldn't find a, a way to fellowship with other Christians. The church that I grew up uh, with was not at all ecumenical. They uh, were one of those churches that believed that they were the only people going to, going to be saved. Um, and so th- there was no possibility of fellowship with other people. Um, and they did not. Uh, at all do a good job at trying to be proactive to reach out and claim the lost um they definitely made me choose between faith and science and i was a fool for christ i was a fool for the church uh i was the guy who would stand up in class and say no uh to evolution and and quote the bible 
uh, and get marked down on my papers. I could afford to do that because I, I, I was an A student at that time. Uh, but I, could, I, I was the guy who, who did that sort of thing. Um, and I did make the choice for faith instead of science. And I felt more the fool uh, when I came out of that. Um, all of these things that I've been talking about, that I've been telling you, are, are things from the heart, experiences from my past. Uh, and if they had done the other thing in, instead of the thing that they did, we wouldn't need to ask the second question. I would still be there. I would still be there today. Now, granted, uh, I would be on the bleeding edge. <laughs> I would be, I would be pushing the envelope. Um, you know, my elders would always be uncomfortable every time I uh, preached or taught a class. Uh, but I would still be there. It 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 is possible in in some possible world that I am still a Christian, <laughs> still mm-hmm. still preaching, and it would not have taken a miracle to keep me there. It, it would have taken future me to go back and have an influence on the churches and so forth uh, on, on the past me. So what would it take to get me back today? Oh, that's a little bit of a different question because it doesn't matter if a church implements all of these things now, I'm out. And like the others, I simply don't believe it. All right, so I'm, I'm never going to be a Christian in that sense. However pushing myself a little bit harder, there is a way to get me back. Um, If a church was interested in forming a, say, a skeptics and seekers program, let's just say it's the name of a program. It's a a good idea. You should uh, use it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm... hmm, Skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com I already own it, people. Anyway, um, yeah, if, if someone wanted to do that and put together a group where skeptics uh, uh, slash atheists like myself and seekers slash uh, Christians or people looking at religions uh, spoke and, and maybe they alternated uh, their, their uh, speeches, you know, one person would talk about... Um, you know, the genealogies, and another person would talk about why the genealogies maybe aren't literal, but maybe at the end of the day, something both theological and something inspirational could be shared uh, with people. And you could put together a community where not all of the songs are Amazing Grace, maybe some of the songs are um, Love Can Lift You Higher, you know, mm. maybe, um, you know, when it's time for communion, uh, maybe everyone... Uh, can take a, a form of communion, but with two different meanings poured into the communion. So that some they're uh, partaking in the body and the blood of Jesus, and for others, uh, they're taking in uh, partaking in the heart and soul of the community. Uh, it's possible. You can do it. Uh, you can do it with contributions. You know what? People want to give. They want to give. They want to be useful. Give a two-envelope uh, system. This one is for the Christians who give to the church and pay for the preacher and all the programs and the air conditioning and uh, whatever whatever else churches do. And this one is an envelope uh, to help the poor and do public-facing ministries and also, you know, to keep the air conditioning on. You could have a system so that people can give according to their conscience, so that they can hear sermons and lessons according to their intellect. 
uh, so that they can have communions according to their heart. It is possible to do this. If someone had the will to do it, I would go back for that. I don't foresee myself going back anytime soon because I don't think that's out there. But if you want to get me re-energized in that kind of community, I'm available. I like that idea. I, I, would, I would go to a church which ran something like that as well. I think oh, so. That means going to church. It means going to church. There'll be so much singing, Sarah. There oh would probably be there would probably be a meal there. French wine, maybe. Oh, uh, okay, probably then. less singing. <laughs> All right then. No, you're right. The community type things sound do sound good, which is probably, as I say, probably something along the lines of what Jesus meant in the first place. We've just bastardized his ideas. Maybe. Who knows? Right. So. As um, as we close out, there was actually one, one more question I wanted to ask, and I have forgotten what it is now because I notoriously don't take notes um, while these podcasts are going on. Uh, maybe I should start. I've, I've got a computer in front of me. I've got a keyboard. I type pretty fast. I could, I could do that. Why don't I do that? Anyway, um, thank you. Um, thank you. Thank, thank you. Uh, thank you, Dave. Uh, indeed, a, uh, a graceful human being. Um, it's, it's been a pleasure, and I hope that uh, we can get together to do other programs and projects together. Um, Absolutely. I, I really yeah. appreciate um, you being here. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Dave. I really appreciate you being on. And folks, Dave, Dave came on at the last minute. I mean, he wasn't, he did. He wasn't a part of the, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, back channeling and prep uh, that goes in these uh, podcasts. Dave was a beneficiary to none of that. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, this is all off the top of my head, people. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate that. Um, Matthew, um, I, I hope that, uh, I know that you're busy with uh, Still Unbelievable and Presenium. Uh, but the doors at um, SNS are are always open to you. Uh, thank you, and um, you know I always appreciate coming on board, Sarah. Uh, please stop making me chase you to get on these podcasts. <laughs> Just agree right here in public that you are going to get on one pat podcast per month. Uh. We'll see what the topics are. Come on, I get, uh, some of the things I I don't. Month. You've all been to Bible schools. And, I promise, and all that sort of I thing. will put up a topic that you would be interested in if you just agree to once uh-huh. a month. Okay, we can done. Yeah. You're here. <laughs> <laughs> all right, um, <laughs> salesman. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> so yeah. so anyway, look, I um, this is this is a, a podcast that. Um, I, I care about. I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the last one, and so I'll mention it here at the end. Um, I have some some passion for, some feeling for, and I hope that Christians will listen to uh, the whole thing throughout. Ask us questions. Uh, we're available. We will be there online, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. You can... Uh, send in your questions privately if you like. I'll make sure that each uh, host gets your private questions, skepticsandseekers at gmail. 
uh, com next week, uh, we have already had a conversation with David Russell. Now, if you do not know David Russell, you are not going to want to miss next week's show. It was awesome. Till then, see you in the comments. Goodbye, everybody. Cheers, all. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Bye.